bonus episode. Um, however, I do not have my KK with me. She is out. But I do have a special guest today. Um, and we are going to talk about D.B. Cooper. So if you did not listen to the story, you might want to go back and listen to that before you continue on with this one. I have an interview with my favorite pilot. So, hi, hubby. Hello. Or Captain Hubby. I don't know how I should address you here. So, how long have you been in the aviation field or piloting? Since 2003. So, almost 20 years. It's a long time. It's a minute. That's a pretty cool field, right? It can be. <laughs> um, from my perspective, when we go anywhere or see people, they're always fascinated with your job. They always have questions. I walk away, come back, they still have questions for you. So does that get old? Does it get exciting? Um, it's exciting if it's a new person. <laughs> if it's the same person asking the same question over and over again, it can get old. Either way, I still got to feel good that people are interested in what you're doing. Yeah, I like sharing. It's uh, part of, I guess, uh, opening people's horizons. Well, at least you get a better view. You should see the views that I get at work. Yeah, I, I can't complain with the view. It's it's uh, pretty outstanding. So you're familiar with the D.B. Cooper case, then? I think so, as much as I can be. <laughs> Well, a lot of people have questions. Nobody solved it. Spoiler alert. So, they say that the flight landed in Seattle and Cooper exchanged his 36 passengers on the plane for the money and the parachutes. Um, he did keep, obviously, the crew members and the pilots on the plane before they took off to Mexico City. Why wouldn't the pilot or the airport call the cops when they were fueled and then picked up the money? I have no clue. The, um, the standard operating procedures that we have now are completely different from when they were back then. Uh, back then there was a lot less hijacking going on. Now, post 9-11, there's very strict rules that we have to follow that we adhere to and it would not happen. Yeah, I mean, we do take in count that it was 1971 when this happened. Um, so the odds of that happening today are going to be way harder to get away with. Uh, to do the same exact thing, it would be impossible. It would not happen. And that makes all of us feel a lot better down here. <laughs> <laughs> so security is tighter. Yes. Okay. So he brought $20 to one-way ticket on Northwest Oriental Airlines. Um, $20. Now, I mean, I can't believe that's going to get you very far traveling in the plane today. Well, there's you can still find those $100 tickets that'll take you from, you know, Michigan to Florida. I mean, they've you just have to look for them. So spirit back airline. then, it's, yeah, it's spirit. Yeah. Uh, so it's, it's possible. I mean, well, it did happen. So it's it happens. And airline tickets prices have not gone up very much. I just think twenty dollars though seems yeah super cheap. <laughs> but he wasn't planning on coming back, so whatever. Right, and they had smoking sections back then too. So <laughs> oh, he was smoking, all right. <laughs> um, so he also requested that the plane stay below ten thousand feet, 
Now, and it also said it was dark and it was raining and there were about wooded areas. I mean, a combination of all that. Is that possible? It's very possible. It's, there's, I think I counted four volcanoes around that area that go over 10,000 feet. Um, the Victor 23 that they're supposedly following, that stays well clear of all of them. Um, he could be quite a bit lower than 10,000 feet even. It's, uh, I think he might have picked that altitude more for um, pressurization and being able to stay alert. Because uh, at that altitude, you can, you can do normal things and not pass out from lack of oxygen. Once you start going above 10,000 feet, that starts going downhill real quick. And I probably hope that he had a pilot that knew what he was doing, too. Well, if he requested 10,000 feet, then that would mean that he knew what he was doing. So it's possible that, I mean, he has some experience with aviation somewhere. So they did say it was a little after 8 p.m. near Seattle, Reno, Nevada area. Um, is that easy to pinpoint? Or, I mean, that's kind of, or is that like a big... That's impossible to pinpoint. I measured it. It's like 500 miles. Um, it's it's a huge space. It's all of Oregon, uh, the northern half of California, and the bottom half of Washington. So anywhere in between is your guess is as good as mine. <laughs> and I did say there was no visibility on the ground at that time. That would make it tough for the guy parachuting. Um, the only thing I could think is he would have had to have had like a, an, uh, an altimeter or something on him, like a wrist altimeter to tell him his altitude when he's falling. If he didn't, uh, he, <laughs> he better have pulled the chute as soon as he got out of the airplane and just let the wind drift you wherever you're going. Cause you will, you wouldn't make it. They said they had a military one on you. Couldn't steer these ones. You pretty much just opened it and go. Oh, so it was like a circle shoot. Or, I don't know the technical term for it. So, yeah, he probably pulled the shoot as soon as he got out of the airplane. So, the only evidence that Cooper was told that he left, was told that was left behind, was a JCPenney clip-on tie. Now, did he leave that tie behind just because he was smug and wanted to be like, yeah, good luck catching me? Or do you think there was actually safety reasons i mean is he worried about this tie flapping in his face and or choking him or my guess is he wasn't used to wearing a tie and it was uncomfortable so he took it off and got rid of it as soon as he could that would be the only thing it, the clip-on tie he probably didn't want his top button buttoned up so he took it off to unbutton it so after we talked about it and heard the story and you know talking to you and crystal and everybody me and Crystal both kind of joke, like, this is pretty impressive. I mean, nobody got hurt, nobody got killed. Like, what are your thoughts on the whole story? Um, <laughs> it's pretty amazing. I mean, back then, you could get away with so much more. Radar coverage is so much lower. Um, the day that he picked even helped him, um, as far as weather, uh, because there was military fighter jets following the 727 but they couldn't 
really keep up with them because they were doing about 170 knots and the fighter jets can't go that slow or couldn't go that slow i guess um so they couldn't really stay with them they had to kind of slow down go past them and then loop back around and keep doing circles basically flying circles around them um and they couldn't see the aircraft either they couldn't get close enough to be able to see them and they wouldn't have been able to pinpoint when he actually jumped out of the airplane um so it's it's pretty amazing like radar coverage isn't that good below 10,000 feet out there um it's kind of spotty so it's kind of like a perfect storm um the only thing <laughs> the only thing that could have changed anything is if they would have done something on the ground in Seattle i mean other than that it's as soon as they took off out of Seattle, he's basically a free man. And the day before Thanksgiving, though, isn't that like usually one of your busiest days of flying? Uh, yeah, it's, yeah, that's one of the busiest times of years for sure. And, I mean, once you're in the air, it doesn't really matter how busy it is, but there's a lot of people there, so it's easy to overlook somebody when there's a million people trying to get on an airplane. And back then... You didn't have TSA, so everybody can go right to the gate to say goodbye to whoever. So there could be three times the amount of people standing right outside the gate as there are actually taking the flight. So it's it's easy to lose somebody in the crowd or just not notice them. So like I said, it's kind of a perfect storm of the day he picked, the weather, uh, just everything about it. But he did his research for sure. He had to have. But, you know, it's kind of you know, that side of the country, the northwest corner. I mean, they're pretty well known for having not nice days and cloudy weather, foggy weather. Now, do you think he made it? Do you think he plunked? Or do you think he actually survived this and that's why they never found him? The parachute. They found some of the money. They found like five grand of it. Um, some kid found it on the beach, but other than that, nothing has been recovered. Um, I would, <laughs> I would guess that he didn't make it, but I mean, if they've only found a little bit of the money and nothing else, it kind of makes me think that he pulled it off. Um, it seems like the, even now, I think you would still be able to go out there and find pieces of the parachute something unless he packed it all up and i mean if you don't find anything he probably made it packed it up and booked out um and uh, he obviously used an alias of some sort so it <laughs> your guess is as good as mine <laughs> you think they were onto something without without a paddle maybe he burned the money to stay warm <laughs> uh well, it makes for a good tear. movie. Yeah, <laughs> makes for a good movie. But I think if he had all that other experience, um, it wouldn't have been that big of an issue for him to uh, probably keep warm or have something with him. I mean, he had if he technically had a bomb, maybe he had a whole bunch of uh, uh, survival equipment in his briefcase instead of a real bomb, and he was able to use that. It just don't know i guess we'll never know what happened to Davy cooper there's been plenty of speculations there's documentaries on it as you've said before um but it's a crazy story but i do appreciate you coming in here and taking the time 
No, no problem. Thanks for having me. Always. I'm sorry you couldn't have the experience with KK, too. Oh, next time. <laughs> Is there anything else that you want to say or, you know, from anything from the pilot point of view, the story, the... Um, well, yeah, they've changed, even the 727s, they've changed regulations uh, about uh, when the aircraft leaves the ground. They actually have, it's a thing called a Cooper vane now that keeps the back door closed when it's in flight. You can't open the back door in a 7-2 now. Um, there's some regulations saying that it's not, you're not able to, you have to somehow secure it so it doesn't open. Is so, it named after him? Yes. Really? They did. Yeah. That's pretty cool. <laughs> so, yeah, there's there were some changes. I mean. Okay. Well, B.B. Cooper, if you're listening, come talk to us. Let us be the first to know. Okay. Well, again, thank you for coming on. It's been a pleasure. You're welcome. And uh, I'll meet you in the living room for uh, a movie night here in about 20 minutes. <laughs> Sounds great. Alright, and thank you guys for listening. Until next time, we've got to go.